Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we are beset with many enemies, none more than the old flesh that is within us, Satan, false brothers, the world, the way in which the evil one, Father, causes us to try and come under his word and the way in which he does that is he uses law, he uses threat and he tries to hold us to ransom, so to speak, but there's a ransom, Father, that's come by which we can just say no to him and we can say no to bullies, we can say no to false brothers and we can say no to the guilt of sin and we can stand in our Lord Jesus Christ, free. Father, bless this proclamation this morning so that we know that freedom and we know the truth of the Gospel. In Jesus' name, Amen. We saw last week that Paul's Gospel was not a man-made Gospel. He didn't make it up, but it came directly from the authority of Christ who had actually saved him and called him by his grace to be an apostle. We saw that it couldn't come from Paul because Paul was utterly in opposition to the Lord Jesus Christ. He had murder in his heart. He didn't know he had murder. thought he was doing the will of God. So deceiving is self-righteousness that you think you can be doing God's work where all along you're actually murdering God's people. That's where Paul was. But he ended up saying, I am what I am by the grace of God. He'd encountered, he'd encountered the truth of Christ, but he had encountered the mercy of a God who meets us in our sin through the blood of Jesus. Wow. All the churches in Christ at Judea and the other apostles were now praising God for Paul's calling to be an apostle. They were happy, they were rejoicing that he was now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Now in this section of Galatians 2, 1 to 10, we have the theme of unity in the Gospel. And we can see that if you wanted to go through these, uh, these 10 verses, you can see three really important things. And I'll just draw them out and uh, as faithful students of God's Word, I'm sure you'll go back over it and you'll read it tonight and say, yep, I agree or I disagree. True unity is always in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. You should be able to remember that. True unity is always in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. True unity cannot be based upon Jesus Christ plus anything. As soon as you add to Jesus Christ plus anything, you have division. Who's going to agree on it? Well, That's the problem. Some will, some won't. You don't have to be Albert Einstein to pick up divisive people in the church. They make themselves known. True unity in Christ also expresses itself in God's mission. One Lutheran theologian said, the church does not exist for itself but for the gospel. And in this case, That mission meant to look at the poor, the poor in particular at Jerusalem. So the Gospel grabs you and teaches you to look outside of your own personal needs and to be generous. 
Thirdly, the gospel is always contested. The church is always under pressure to conform either to legalistic law-based pressure. That pressure never goes away, by the way. While ever the devil roams, that pressure is here this morning. Or we are under pressure to go to what is called relativism to accept the sinfulness of the world as being okay. Take your pick. Legalism on left hand, the sinfulness and immorality of the world on the right and centred in the middle is Jesus Christ. That's it, we should go home now. We've got the message and uh, I've finished. That's terrible. That's what happens when you give you three points at the beginning of a sermon. Now, Paul, after 14 years of missionary work, that's a lot of years of missionary work and a lot of fruit bearing, has been preaching the gospel among the Gentiles, but he goes up to Jerusalem, the, the heartland of the church. We could say he goes to Adelaide, goes to Luther Sem. So he goes to Jerusalem to the head of the church, but he doesn't go to defend his gospel. He goes because he's been given a divine revelation from God. Very important. And he presents his gospel openly, yet privately to the leaders. He does it privately because he doesn't want to run his race race in vain, but he knows he's not going to because God's in it. God's taken him there. God's going to do something. So why does God bring Paul to Jerusalem after 14 years? God wants to affirm the unity of the gospel. God wants to vindicate the message that Paul proclaims among the Gentiles as being the same message that Peter preaches and he's going to do it smack, bam, right in the midst of his enemies. To oppose the gospel of God and to oppose those who preach the gospel is to stand on the rails and to have the train of God face you. The gospel that Paul preached was God at work in Paul, was God at work in Peter to oppose Peter and Paul and the proclamation was to oppose God. God wasn't going to stand for it. So he gets Paul to Jerusalem because he's about vindicating the message. That should bring us great comfort, brothers and sisters, in the midst of evil, in the midst of things that happen God will not let his message of his son be destroyed. He will not. And we can rest in that very confidently. There will always be those who take it on, Lord. So Paul went up with Barnabas. Now Barnabas was a Jew and if you're familiar with Barnabas, he was just a delightful man. Imagine your nickname being son of encouragement. Here comes son of encouragement. Here he comes. We need encouragement and there are people here who are just so encouraging, aren't they? There's people here who encourage me and oh, how I need it. And then he takes Titus. Now, Titus is a Greek and he's uncircumcised. This is really important. But what do Paul, Barnabas, two Jews who are circumcised, what do they have in common with an uncircumcised Greek called Titus. What do they have in common? What makes them one in the ministry? 
what makes them one in the mission of God? Jesus Christ. And I need to say it, Jesus Christ alone. How hard is it to understand that it's Jesus Christ alone? How hard is it to discern when false brothers come in and say Jesus Christ plus something else? Why do we give in to it? Why do we listen to that when it's simply not the truth of the Gospel? These men were gripped with the truth of the Gospel. Christ had saved them. They now proclaimed Him and their experience of unity was that of the one Holy Spirit in the one baptism into the one Lord Jesus Christ with the one Heavenly Father. That was their unity. He deliberately takes Titus to show the church at Jerusalem that the unity was not based on race, it wasn't based on tradition, it wasn't based on rules, but on Jesus Christ. Verse 3 and 5. But even Titus who was with me was not forced to be circumcised though he was a Greek, yet because of false brothers, here's Satan, false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out the freedom we have in Christ. I mean, how ridiculous that you sneak into a meeting to try and find out the freedom that people have in Christ. I mean, it's like a, it's like a CIA movie. We're trying to get some intelligence on them. How foolish. And Paul says, they wanted to do this so that they might bring us into slavery but to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the Gospel might be preserved for you. These false brothers were wolves in sheep's clothing having slipped into the meeting to keep a close eye on the freedom they had in Christ. Now there must have been immense pressure in this meeting because Paul talks about those who seem to be influential. How are you when someone puts the pressure on you? What's it like when people start to pressure you? Now as a person who's in pastoral ministry, pressure is seven days a week. Not only is it difficult just to be a Christian on your own, but you've got all the kinds of pressures coming to you. But so do you. You live in the world. You're not of the world. You have a struggle with the flesh and the world and the devil. And so the pressure is always there to conform. These people who came in, they seemed influential. Paul's just, Paul's just not a person who's going to worry about that. He's not worried about what robe they're wearing. He's not worried about what books they've got. He is a man who says, that person there is not Jesus Christ. And I had a friend say to me the other week when I told him about some troubles in the church, he said, that person's not Jesus Christ. But people speak in the church like they're Jesus Christ, don't they? And you don't come under their authority and you don't do their will and they hold you to ransom. Is that God? Is that God's grace? The problem is, are we a discerning people? Are we? 
Are we able to, like Paul, say, I did not submit to that and to them for a moment? He was clear. He was clear about the message. So clear that he said, that is not from God. And he was willing to suffer for it. And next week we'll see, Peter, as an apostle, gives in. So, brothers and sisters, if Peter gave in as an apostle, the pressure is is intense for us. These brothers cannot understand how Paul and Barnabas can be proclaiming a Jewish Messiah. They can't understand how they can have a half-clean, circumcised Greek with them. See, Titus is half-clean. What does it mean to be half-clean? Well, the false brothers were saying it's great that he believes in Jesus. Yep, put the flags up. But he's only halfway there. He hasn't yet been circumcised. If he gets circumcised, then he'll be fully clean. He'll be a full-fledged Christian, full-fledged Lutheran, Anglican, whatever you want to put there. He'll be fully-fledged. Now, you've got to remember that the Jews were given circumcision and the dietary laws in the Old Testament to actually show their separateness. So, that, that was an Old Testament. and that was, that was a law given to show that they were God's people. That's gone. Because Titus trusts in Jesus, what they're trying to do to Paul is say, Paul, come on, Paul. Come back and circumcise your church. Come back and get all the males here at Trinity and circumcise them. Go to your congregations, circumcise them, change their dietary habits and then, Paul, you will have a substantial gospel. Noel Jew says this, we are faced with two types of unity here. The one from Paul's side is the unity of the gospel. It's Genesis is grace. Its currency is love. And its power, the spirit of Jesus. The other is the unity of conformity. Conform. Its genesis is the flesh. Its currency, the law. And its power is coercion leveraged on fear. We have it here. Every church has it. There will never be a time when it's not happening to the church. While ever the gospel is being preached, while ever you're a person in Jesus Christ, the devil wants to get you into slavery. That's all he wants and he uses the law and the guilt of the law and he uses any law. You've got to remember they were God-given laws. We tend to squabble over human laws. At least circumcision in the dietary law was God-given in the Old Testament. We fight over such minute things where man has come up with certain laws, don't we? Paul does not come under slavery. He does not come under their pressure. He says in verse 5, To them we did not yield in submission for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. When the Roman Catholic Church called Luther to account at the uh, Diet of Worms, they asked him to recant. 
mean, can you, you, you've got to see the movie, the pressure in that movie, the pressure he's under there. They say, are these your books? Are these your writings? You've written against Rome. But he was only really writing from God's word. He was only bringing out the gospel which was exposing Rome. And he answered, yes, these are my writings. And they said, do you recant? Can you imagine the pressure? He said, if you can show me anywhere in the scripture where I'm wrong, I'll recant. They couldn't. My conscience is captive to the word of God. Can anybody finish it off? Here I, here I stand. Luther was like Paul, wasn't he? Luther was like Paul. Jesus said, if the truth shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. The freedom in Christ that Paul is standing in is the truth of the Gospel. This meant that he was now free to resist the things that were not from God. That's the second accusation that's brought against this Gospel is that you preach a a Gospel of freedom, Martin Luther, Apostle Paul, you, you preach a Gospel of freedom. That means that you can go out and do whatever you want. No, see, Paul's freedom is to stand against that which is evil. He's now free. He now has the power to say no and he has the power now to stand in the truth of what is right and what is holy and what is just. Take that freedom away. Just take that freedom of the Gospel away. You can't stand. You just can't stand and say no. And you can't stand and say yes. So where's the attack going to come? It's going to, the attack is going to come on the truth and the freedom of the gospel that's being preached. So Paul was able to resist the false teaching, the flesh and the devil. And unless you are free from the guilt of sin in Jesus Christ, which you should be because all your sins are what? Past, present, tense, forgiven unless you are free from the guilt of sin, that is justified just as though you have never sinned by grace, through faith in the power of the Holy Spirit, you cannot resist the power of sin. If you are a person who is in guilt, sin has you, the devil has you, the world has you, the flesh has a hold of you and that's why there's a holy atonement to free us from the power of sin's curse. Brothers and sisters, you are commanded to not look at your sins except through the body and blood of Jesus Christ. God commands you to never look at your sins except through the new covenant. If you look at your sins apart from the body and blood of Jesus Christ, you will hear the voice that says, you did it, you did it, You did it, you did it. But when you look at your sins through the body and blood of Jesus Christ, you hear, you did it, but you are forgiven. The truth is that God has called you in the grace of Christ. He's called you in the grace of forgiveness so that as someone who is still a sinner, 
as someone who still sins, we may know the freedom of a clear conscience. Simultaneously a sinner, simultaneously a saint. We have a clear conscience in God's sight by faith in Christ even when you feel the accusation of your conscience. See, you have it by faith, not by feeling. This was the freedom that Paul knew, but he knew this freedom under pressure. He knew it at the point where Satan was trying to get him and he was able, through the Gospel, to stand. Here I stand. And in Romans 2.28-29 he says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter, and his approval and his praise comes from God. That was Paul. Now, whatever the heat was in this meeting, by resisting the influential and religious leaders and the false brothers, by presenting his gospel that he preaches to the nation, God vindicated Paul. It was evident that Paul had been entrusted with the gospel to the Gentiles just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised and they gave their right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and Paul. Sometimes you've just got to wait for vindication. You've just got to wait for it. God will bring it. If you're doing and preaching what is right, you will come under attack. If you are believing what God wants you to believe in Jesus Christ, you'll come under attack but you stand and God is for you, isn't he? Is he against you? Many people, everything might be against you, but God in Christ is for you. This meeting in Jerusalem only affirmed the unity of the message between Paul and Peter and it only affirmed the unity of the Gospel. When James and Peter and John, who were pillars of the church, perceived the grace that was given to Paul. They gave the right hand of fellowship to him and Barnabas and they sent them out. What a blessing to be sent out by the church. And they only asked that they would remember the poor, the very thing that Paul was eager to do. So here you have Paul. His heart is for the poor. He's not anti-works, is he? He's just about doing the ones God wants us to do. That's what grace does. Grace transforms us to do the Father's will in Christ by the Spirit that God will be glorified and is being glorified. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.